According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Join me in Luke chapter 12 this morning as we get going. We are dealing with a lengthy chapter, 59 verses, and a total of 10 emphases. I forgot to turn on my mouse this morning. There we go. All right. The Outline Bible, which I use occasionally. Sometimes uh, they do a super job with the chapter, and I'm amazed and delighted, and I steal from it quite freely. Other times uh, I look at their outlines, and I wonder, why did they do that? So (laughs) anyway, I keep uh, looking at it every so often. Uh, They did a good job, I think, in this chapter in breaking it down into a Decalogue, ten separate emphases, and we're taking them now in our study one by one. We, uh, under point three, we looked at the first of the emphases, which was hypocrisy. And under, there were some subpoints there. And then under emphasis two, we gave that to you as point four. The true fear, not losing our fear of the Lord and certainly not succumbing to fearing man. Uh, man is limited in what man can do against us to temporal life to things of the body and things of uh, within the confines of time but the true fear is to fear the one who after he has killed you has the authority to cast you into hell and we did our study on the fear of the lord at that point last week we dealt with emphasis number five which is god's care there it is i usually give myself a cheat note and say okay that's slide 10 that would be good to know for next time God's care, the fact that he cares for the sparrows, the fact that he counts the hairs on our heads. Um, He knows every little detail and he is aware of everything. There is nothing that is beneath his notice. And if you uh, for even one moment think that uh, he is not aware of the problems you're faced with, then uh, you can simply chalk that up to your own uh, self-pity, a little pity party that you're throwing because God is very aware of what you're going through, just as he's aware of the number of hairs on your head. So that was our class last week and uh, the points of study there. We're ready today now for emphasis number four. And uh, it's one that we covered already in terms of the unpardonable sin. uh, And yet it seems like every time we come back to the issue, it causes uh, comment and people pause and they think... uh, well, uh, is, is, is that something I should worry about? <laughs> is that, what if I commit that sin? You know, because I, I commit an awful lot of sins. Maybe, well, what if I commit that one? You know, am I doomed? It says that I can't be forgiven. So we'll take the time to slow down and understand what it is. Understand that, if, uh, that you can't do it. All right, I'll just tell you that right here and now. And so you can relax about that. And yet there is um, an application to be made, one that we want to be cautious with. Uh, for our own applications. So hopefully, as we look at it one more time, it will uh, it will be made clear to us. We haven't prayed yet. Let's do that. Let's start with some prayer and then uh, get right to our study. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. For the truth of your word and the privilege and blessing that it is for us to assemble together, we 
look to you, Father, to guide and direct our thinking, guide and direct our study. Uh, thank you for the uh, opportunity to assemble this morning, the freedom that our nation has. Thank you also for our, our meeting last night and uh, how productive that was, a little late in some respects, but uh, I thank you for in the uh, very productive things that we accomplished and uh, the opportunity we have moving forward in, in moving our website to a, a different provider. Just, uh, again, we thank you for the privilege we have to not only teach the Word, but to make it available on the website for folks around the country and around the world that may not have, uh, may not have the truth available to them. So we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. All right. I don't know how late it was by the time Cliff got home, but he had to... Yeah, <laughs> okay. All right. Point six in the outline brings us to emphasis number four, which I have titled Acknowledging Christ. It uh, comprises of Luke chapter 12, verses 8 through 12. So let's take a look at it. He says, I say to you, everyone who confesses me before man, the son of man, will confess him also before the angels of God. And this is what we're going to talk about, the idea of confession in terms of an acknowledgement, in terms of a public witness and testimony, not in terms of naming your sin for the restoration of fellowship as per 1 John 1, 9. So uh, confessing me before men, the Son of Man will confess him also before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. Then on to verse 11, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. All right, so there's a couple of different issues here, and uh, we're going to handle them in turn. Actually, I've got three subpoints I want to take us through in this class and then detail some of the things regarding the unpardonable sin that, uh, as it's so often labeled, uh, is actually a bit of a mislabel because the idea of unpardonable has that idea of able, able to be pardoned. And uh, the passage does not say that it cannot be pardoned. It says that it will not be pardoned. And the ability to pardon uh, must be evaluated versus the willingness to pardon and the conditions by which any sin is pardoned is uh, something we want to be clear on. So uh, this will be useful for us. As I said, you're a born-again believer in the church age. You cannot commit this sin. Um, and as we go through the details on that, it might help you if there's folks you need to explain it to or maybe folks that are worried that maybe they can lose their salvation or some silly thing like that. All right, we know they can't, but let's get the foundation in the scriptures to where we can understand that. All right, first thing we want to get, backing up now to these confessions. The first observation we make, and it should be quite simple, is that this is rewardable. Confession of Christ produces patrological and angelical recognition in heaven. Both aspects, it's the angels that are in view here, it's the Father who's in view in the Matthew parallel. Uh, but to be confessed before the angels of God, we're told in Luke 12:8, To be uh, confessed, to be acknowledged, to be publicly uh, recognized in a very visible way. So point A in your outline, confession of Christ produces paterological, that's the Matthew account, 
and angelical recognition in heaven. That's the Luke account. The parallel is Matthew chapter 10. We taught it back in the Galilean ministry, in the Galilean ministry episode 34, uh, when he sends out his 12 disciples. And the language is very similar. I'll grab this real quickly. Matthew 10. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. So it's not, they're not contradictory statements. They're saying the same thing. Matthew is saying it's before the Father in the presence of the Father in his throne. Luke is saying it's before the angels in the presence of the angels. And where are they? In heaven before the Father's throne. So both statements are functionally identical and factually correct. As we understand it and consider the nature of the uh, acknowledgement, the nature of the reward and what a delight it would be to be presented. Remember, we are studying to show ourselves approved and we are preparing to be presented before our father. And Jesus Christ will present us before his father um, one way or the other. (laughs) All right. Now, again. There's no question in this text as to the salvation of the participants involved. Okay? And, of course, this is a Jewish text. This is related to the dispensation of Israel when Christ is speaking these promises. But we have a presentation ourselves as the bride and uh, things there that, that are not a part of this passage, but there's still something we want to understand. What are we going to do when we get there? What happens when we get to heaven? And what happens after the judgment seat of Christ? And then what? See? So... Um, and, yeah, there's, I'm going to let it go. There's, Bob, can you fetch me a cup of coffee, please? I know I forgot something. Oh, is it gone? All right, never mind then. Forget it. Um, there's all kinds of jokes, right? People like to make jokes about heaven, you know, and St. Peter meeting you at the pearly gate, and they're showing you around, and you're seeing the different houses, and uh, I don't know. I, some of them are cute, and you chuckle, but then you think, what are we really doing? We're joking about the glories that we don't even understand, or we barely understand. And uh, I think sometimes, uh, you know, I appreciate humor. I'm rather twisted myself in some respects. But I think there are realms of humor that start to cross towards an, ir- an irreverence that more and more I wonder, you know, am I supposed to be participating in that? So anyway, um, back to heaven, back to the angels, back to the Father, and the confession That takes place. Jesus Christ will confess. He's either going to confess or deny. And his confession or denial is keyed to our confession or denial. And so really, the ball is in our court. What are we going to do with it? It, This is almost a reward that's just there for the taking unless you choose to simply throw it away by denying Christ. All right? By denying Christ. Christ. And, and we want to approach this from two aspects. I'm going to give them to you here under subpoints, and then we'll illustrate them. Because you can view confession of Christ in a salvation sense. And this passage is very applicable and is very vivid and is very true. But then you also want to go back a second time and read through the aspect of confession here in a witnessing sense. In terms of your obligations and expectations that you are representing Christ to this lost and dying world. That you and I are, have been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. And so if we are faithless in that, 
then obviously the consequences would be loss of reward. The consequences would be a failure to uh, attain to the prestige and reward and, and blessings that would otherwise be available. So let's look at these again. Everyone who confesses me before men. Okay, now let's just think of that in terms of a uh, salvation context. As we're told in Romans, you believe in your heart, you confess with your lips, uh, you come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. All right? Everyone who comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ will not be cast out, will not be rejected. I mean, that's the faithful promise. He who comes unto me, I will in no wise cast out. And that uh, those who come to Christ, of course, no one can unless the Father who sent me draws him. But those who come to Christ, Christ will save to the uttermost. He will not lose even one. That's his responsibility. So you can view this as a salvation application and take the confessing of Christ to be the testimony of your salvation. And, And yes, it's a true concept. No question, it's a true concept that everyone who confesses Christ uh, will go to heaven. It will have that confession to the Father, as, as as it were. But to me, I see more in this than uh, simply the uh, acknowledgement of salvation because of other ways in which confession is used, other ways in which uh, confession is the public declaration of agreement with the will of God, with the plan of God, as in Jesus Christ, who made the good confession in the presence of Pontius Pilate. He had a witnessing opportunity in the presence of the Roman governor the night of his execution or the day, the morning of his execution. And so this is a confession whereby we, um, in the face of hostility, in the uh, possibility of, of, uh, martyrdom or in the impossibility of rejection or whatever else in spite of that we stand for jesus christ we make the good confession and um it might it's maybe a very good thing for our country if we do have some dark days ahead and some difficult times ahead to where uh christianity uh loses uh any kind of popularity status what happens when Christianity starts carrying a stigma instead of a, 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 a pop trendy status at that point? I think you'll have a, a lot fewer professing Christians because the professors will uh, find uh, much more preferable professions to start making in, in that kind of an environment. But it'll be the true Christians, then the, the truly regenerate and those that are being renewed in the spirit of their mind, those that are growing in the word of God that will continue to maintain their confession. And that's where it is rewardable all right so being confessed before the angels of god and and uh, you can look at this passage both in a salvation sense and in a witnessing sense but i believe the better impact the one that's more consistent with the the context of this chapter and the ten emphases and where it's placed i think it's kind of awkward to have uh three emphases and then go back to kind of a a salvation thing and then move on to other things every last one of these is dealing with the disciples fundamentally in how they're applying the word of God and when they're beware of hypocrisy and when they're um, being exhorted to walk by faith and not be fearful of God taking care of them and and so forth. So I think uh, it's better to take this in the second way rather than the first way. Now, this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, interestingly enough, blasphemy, the word is not here. It's in the Matthew parallel and the concept is clearly here. Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man. So this is beyond simply a denial. 
This is going a step beyond either confessing or denying. This is going beyond denying now to attacking, speaking a word against. Okay. Uh, the, the verb blasphemeo is found in Matthew, but the concept is here. Speaking a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But he who blasphemes against, oh, there's blaspheme. He who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. So there's the contrast. A word against the Christ versus blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. All right. Now, the difference is not simply a feature of the difference of Trinity because they're both equally God. They're both equally a part of Trinity. Blasphemy is blasphemy, regardless of which member of Trinity you choose to blaspheme. But what is it specifically that this text addresses pertaining to the Holy Spirit that uh, is not forgivable? And that's where we want to do some work. Black point B, then, in your notes. And this is where we'll probably spend some time. I also, by the way, um, we taught this, as I mentioned, back in um, the Galilean ministry, and we gave you some points of study. And uh, as we have time, I'll even uh, double-check. This laptop still has that slideshow on here. So uh, we can even put those slides back up there and review what those points are, just to remind ourselves here of what's going on. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is a rejection of his convicting ministry concerning Jesus Christ and the divine provision for salvation. This is what we concluded after that study, and so I'm giving it to you here as a reminder of what we've already concluded. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. What is it? It is a rejection of his convicting ministry. Remember, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And uh, when you reject that, when an unbeliever rejects that, what's he doing? He's rejecting the gospel, rejecting salvation, rejecting the, uh, the free grace uh, gift that's freely offered. So it's a rejection of his convicting ministry concerning Jesus Christ and the divine provision for salvation. Now, specifically, as the warnings were given, they were given in the context of Jesus Christ's earthly ministry. And given in the uh, immediate expectation of the, of the kingdom of God, where the kingdom of God was at hand, where the kingdom of God was more than at hand, the kingdom of God was upon them, actually being revealed. That, that uh, imminent context is vital because this formed the backdrop, not... In the Luke text, but in the Matthew text, this formed the backdrop for when he first gave this message. When he gives it here in Luke 12, it's a, it's a repeat message from uh, one, one that he'd previously given in, in the Galilean ministry. And so, in the Galilean ministry, here he is being revealed as the Christ. In fact, under the filling of the Holy Spirit, he is overpowering the, the forces of darkness. He is offering Israel their kingdom. And instead of accepting their king, they're rejecting their king. And they are ascribing his works of power to Satan. That's right. To the exact opposite. To the, to the side that he's defeating. See? And this is what Jesus Christ then, in that context, is when Jesus Christ then introduces the idea of the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. 
the Holy Spirit from all eternity past has been revealing the things of God. Uh, he's been the, inspire, uh, the one who inspires Scripture. He has been the one who works in men's hearts. Of course, that's what he does today. Whereas he continues to convict the world, it's what he does today as he uh, moves in men's heart. He's no longer inspiring scripture, but he's illuminating scripture when we study it, when we teach it, when we occupy with Christ and dwell in the things of the word of God. The Holy Spirit continues to illumine scripture. Uh, the Holy Spirit has a unique function in our age as the restrainer of evil, as the restrainer of Satan's program until such time as the bride is removed. Now, when you think of everything the Holy Spirit has done, is doing and ever will do, the one thing that's, uh, that maybe stands out among all the rest is what the Holy Spirit did for three and a half years in the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. Because the Holy Spirit descended bodily, descended in the form of a dove in a very public way and anointed Jesus Christ, the God-man, for his earthly ministry. And so his convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment had a very real, vivid manifestation in the person of Christ. And that's what they denied. That's what they rejected. That's what they actually satanically slandered. They said he casts out Beelzebul by the power of Beelzebul. And so that's what Jesus Christ called the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and the things there. So, if you view this in that context then, if you understand blasphemy against the Holy Spirit as uh, a rejection of his convicting ministry, a rejection of his unveiling of Jesus as the Christ, as the divine provision for salvation. Well, if you reject that, then there is no forgiveness of sin, right? Because there is salvation in no other name. There is forgiveness in no other name. So I think a lot of people get worked up over this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And fundamentally, with this way of looking at the, uh, the sin, you say that's no different than simply rejecting Christ for salvation. And of course, those who reject Christ for salvation have no forgiveness of sin. Are you kidding? So that's possibly the simplest way to explain the uh, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. You're a believer, you can't do it. You're already saved. You're already forgiven, eternally forgiven. And uh, I think there's a lot to be said for um, no one in this dispensation could possibly, even unbelievers could never have committed the sin anyway. They can reject salvation, but they, they weren't alive at the time that Jesus was, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and that we beheld his glory, glory is the only begotten from the Father, that some go so far as to say that it actually takes the eyewitnessing of the Holy Spirit working through Christ and rejecting that live and in person, in which case, of course, no one could have committed this sin since the first century, since Christ walked this earth. Now, there are a couple of other things also in some more advanced studies that we can deal with on this. Let me, before I do that, though, let's just um, make sure that... Where did I hide these? Old slideshows. Here we go. I think every slideshow we've done since 2002 is probably in this folder. We're looking for Jesus accused of blasphemy. 
Maybe it's not in here. Okay, I'm, I'm proving myself a liar. How about that? I was virtually certain that I looked at this just uh, last week. All right, well then. Accused, there it is, accused blasphemy. I knew it. Some people think I'm losing my mind. Probably not far off. There we go. We used purple back then. You imagine that? Purple and gold. Uh, let's skip on down because it's point seven, and. Uh, The attribution of satanic power rather than the Holy Spirit's power for the work of Jesus Christ. That was the context there in Matthew chapter 12. He was casting out demons and they said, oh, he's using satanic power to do this. And, and here he is overpowering the forces of darkness. And they accuse him of working on behalf of the powers of darkness. They've been under bondage. These boastful, prideful Jews that say, oh, we've never been enslaved to anybody. He's trying to tell them they shall know the truth. The truth will set them free in, the, uh, in any event. The details on this, I think, is interesting. There's a context in Matthew 12, verses 28, 31, and 32 that reference the Spirit of God, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And those expressions used in those verses help to frame um, the boundaries, the contextual boundaries for how we interpret And so uh, he talks about uh, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. I mean, all these years leading up to this, John the Baptist kept preaching, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The disciples preached at hand. Jesus preached at hand. Well, this is even closer than at hand. This is upon you. The kingdom of heaven is imminent, ready to be handed to Israel. The king is ready to be seated and he's having these victories and all of this. Uh, you know, the, to me, people want to talk about the what ifs from the Garden of Eden, you know, if Adam hadn't sinned and whatever, whatever. All the what ifs. What if Israel had not crucified the Christ? What if they had been humbled under the ministry of John the Baptist? The hearts of the fathers, the hearts of the children turned back to their fathers and Israel, I mean, what if? See, obviously, he still had to go to the cross. He still had to redeem humanity. But it may have simply been the Romans alone, not the Romans and the Jews that, that put him on the cross. See, anyway, we, no point in debating the what-ifs for that lengthy period of time because it's fruitless. It's not what happened. What happened was, of course, that Israel rejected their king. So uh, the kingdom of heaven is upon you. And this is uh, expressed there in verse uh, 28. We also have the, the uh, anyone entering into the strong man's house carrying off his property unless he first binds the strong man. Remember what's happening on the cross is he disarmed the rulers and the authorities. And so here they are on the, uh, 
on the verge of seeing the son of the woman crush the, the serpent's head. And they're blaspheming that convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit by uh, attributing the work of Jesus to, uh, to the anti-father, to, to uh, Satan's motivation and empowerment. So uh, again, he says, I say to you, and there's a with me and against me contrast as well in verse 20. He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. See, this is, this is the absolute language of choose you this day whom you will serve. Which side are you on? Are you with Christ or are you, are you with the world? And that's the either or language and, and we, we need to accept that. The world hates it. The world loves to be more nuanced and sophisticated and fancy and gray areas and it doesn't matter what you believe, everybody's all good and, you know, I'm okay, you're okay and can't we all just get along? All right. You know, our president, our former president gets up there and says, you're either with us or you're with the terrorists. I kind of like that. You know, it's one side or the other. I mean, figure it out. Pick a side. And uh, anyway. Don't get me started. There's a new president now, and the message is not quite so black and white. Not, not quite so absolute. Not quite so stark. All right. <laughs> Where am I going with this? Oh, here I am. The uh, I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people. I mean, that's just a blanket statement. And that's uh, any sin, including blasphemy. You could say it take and and make that even. Any sin, even blasphemy, shall be forgiven people. But blasphemy against the Holy Spirit shall not be forgiven. This is the one that, not that it cannot be, that it shall not be. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him. Notice now, either in this age or the age to come. Now there's more detail there and more than I think in advanced studies we really want to pour over. Because I think it's pinpointing not only the age of the incarnation under the dispensation of Israel, but also the age of the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ under the dispensation of Israel. Because there is indeed another day coming in which Jesus Christ will walk this earth with the public anointing of the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about the thousand year millennial kingdom reign of Jesus Christ. And is it conceivable then? that some could blaspheme in this manner and assign his miracle power to Satan and even long for Satan, even demand the release of Satan out of the abyss. Thousand years he's going to be in that abyss, and when he's done, they're going to demand that, that Jesus Christ step off his throne. They're going to demand that the adversary be released. It boggles the mind. So just when you think uh, humanity can't sink to a new depth or acclaim a new political leader, they're going to want Satan himself out of the abyss. Get Jesus Christ off the throne. Can you imagine? The first only time in human history that we've ever observed perfect government on the earth. And then he just, he's just got to go. <laughs> Hard to imagine. So we have the context for this passage. With victory over the diabolical forces of the kingdom, of, uh, the kingdom of God is not only at hand, and all those scripture references leading up to this here in Matthew, but it is literally upon them, as it's stated here in Matthew 12:28. Acceptance versus rejection of Christ is an absolute either-or decision. You're either saved or you're lost. You're either in Christ or you're in Adam. 
And that's why we have this contrast in this passage with versus against. You gather with Christ versus scattering. And that, by the way, is very consistent with the prophetic message uh, in Isaiah chapter 2. Any sin is forgivable, forgivable, okay? But this sin is not forgiven. Although forgivable, we're going to talk about able in uh, some classes coming up. We've got a lot of able studies. In um, Corinthians, we've got an able study. Uh, in terms of our encouragement. And when God the Father, He's the Father of mercy, He's God of all comfort, He comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort others. That's right. And we're going to have to wrap our arms around the fact that just because He makes us able to comfort others doesn't mean that we automatically do. And oftentimes, even though He makes us able, sometimes we're so wrapped up in ourselves we don't comfort even though he makes us able to do so. We've got some bubble studies coming up. But sin is forgivable, but not forgiven in the sense that when the Christ is rejected, then uh, clearly they cannot be brought into the presence of God. So uh, if you reject the anointed Christ, you're against God, you will be scattered away from him in judgment. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit is rejection of his anointing of Jesus as the Christ. Therefore, rejection of the Holy Spirit's conviction ministry. If you want the scripture on that, you get it out of combining Matthew 12 with John 16. John 16, 8 through 11 is the passage that deals with the Holy Spirit as the one who convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment concerning sin because they have not believed in Christ. Now, there are other things too, and since we have time... Let me draw it out for you. I don't use Elmo as much as I need to. Particularly because um, I know I'm not the only one who is visual in the way that they learn and the way that they see things. And I can sit in a class and hear six hours worth of lectures and not catch half of what I would catch if someone would just draw a picture and let me look at it for 30 seconds. <laughs> okay. Because we have the idea of forgive. All right. And the idea of forgiving and the idea of relinquishing an obligation of uh, vengeance or relinquishing an obligation of repayment or relinquishing any kind of expectation of anything. You're just letting it go. And you're not entitled to anything anyway because no one sinned against you. They sinned against God. And if you remember what you were forgiven by Christ, then it really helps you and motivates each one of us to be more forgiving for other people. All right. But this idea of forgive, there's a couple of aspects we want to understand. And uh, this is the old top circle, bottom circle. Okay. You've seen that a few thousand times, hundred thousand times. All right. Now, clearly, when you're saved, you have a relationship with God, the father through faith in Jesus Christ. And you are placed in Christ. And your sins are forgiven. Remember, it's in Christ you have redemption. And what's that defined as? The forgiveness of sins. So this is your eternal forgiveness. And we can call this eternal forgiveness. And of course, you never lose that. 
That's the one-way door. That's the, you know, uh, once you're in Christ, what shall separate us from the love of God which is in Christ? Nothing. God himself can't even do that. We can't do that. Now, beyond that, though, we have down here in bottom circle, we have our fellowship. And this is where our filling of the Holy Spirit either exists or does not exist. Because when fellowship is broken, we don't lose our relationship, but we do lose our fellowship. The prodigal son never quit being a son, even when he's broken fellowship, even when he was off in the far country living with the pigs and not eating as well as they were eating. And they, uh, he had no fellowship with his father, but he was still a son. He still had the relationship. And uh, this, of course, needs to be when you sin, you go carnal. And this one is not a one-way door, okay? This one's uh, this one's a revolving door, okay? I mean, this one, and for some folks, it revolves and spins in considerable velocities. We we want to we want to keep the time out here to a minimum, which means we confess more frequently. We com- we confess sooner, the instant we're convicted. I mean, the moment. The Holy Spirit convicts you that you're in darkness. Confess and get back in the light as quickly as you possibly can. So you minimize that. The longer you spend out here, the worse it gets. It actually will cycle into additional realms of sin. It will actually drive you further from that point of uh, the, the conscience can become seared to where you don't even feel like confessing anymore. And, and, you know, the passing pleasures of sin, sin makes it fun. And Sometimes we delay confession because we're having too much fun at the moment. Or because we want to take revenge. We know we can't take revenge if we're in fellowship. So we go ahead and delay the confession so we can get our revenge in real quick and then confess. I don't know where these illustrations are coming from. I do a lot of reading. I must be reading other people's. All right. So, But here's the point, though. Because this is also, this is also a setting in which the Bible uses the term forgiveness. Okay? This is also a setting in which the Bible uses the term forgiveness. And so there's a forgiveness here, but it's not an eternal... Up here is the eternal forgiveness. Down here we have the temporal forgiveness. And the, the difference between the eternal forgiveness and the temporal forgiveness is the difference between the entire bath that you get at the moment of salvation versus the foot washing that you get at confession. See? Now, of course, eternally forgiven means that the sin is paid for, it's removed, righteousness is given to you, you're going to go to heaven when you die. Okay? Even if you're out of fellowship when you die. Even if you have no temporal forgiveness, like uh, anybody in reversionism, anybody that dies the sin unto death, they may spend... Months, years in carnality, they haven't confessed in decades, and, and they finally they die, the, the total loser of the church age, sin unto death, but they're eternally forgiven. Positionally, they're in Christ. Okay, So this is the way the Scripture uses. Now, I've kind of gone long on this to highlight another way to consider in this unpardonable sin is to evaluate whether or not what Jesus is speaking of here is actually the temporal forgiveness rather than the eternal forgiveness. 
because of the dispensation in which he gives this message. There were other unpardonable sins, as it were, in Mosaic law. All right. Willfulness, willful rejection, willful sin. See, now, just go back now to an Old Testament mindset and start thinking burnt offering, sin offering, trespass offering, guilt offering, peace offering. Okay, red heifer, scapegoat. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. All right. And recognize how great we've got it today. Okay. Because we can do this. Um, we can do this 10 times a day, 20 times a day. We can confess our sins through prayer. All right. And we don't have to butcher a goat every time we do. Okay. We don't have to go with a sheep to. Yeah, you're smiling. Right? Can you imagine? There are enough flocks big enough for, okay. Now, recognizing, of course, now, also recognizing that the animal ritual was a part of their stewardship. It was a part of their uh, Christian way of life and their uh, application. And it was absolutely required for um, restoration to ritual purity and, and fellowship with the nation of Israel. All right. So uh, they didn't have to kill a goat for every single middle attitude sin that they confessed. They could do that in prayer. Okay. David in the Psalms, Psalm 51, Psalm, you know, David confessed his sins like you confess your sins. David, first John one nine. Okay. And it didn't require an animal every single time, but it did require an animal when um, his confession was also a uh, uh, a return to the status of ritually clean, of ritual purity, of of uh, walking in fellowship with the uh, consecrated assembly. See, before he could be in uh, restored to the fellowship of partaking of Passover, partaking of Pentecost, uh, observing the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of uh, Trumpets, and so forth. Okay. They didn't. Uh, they didn't have to butcher an animal every single time they first John one nine. All right. So, in this in this uh, scope, then there were sacrifices that could not be offered. For example, um, I mean, there were sins that did not have uh, an offering that would remedy that. All right. Uh, there were there were sins where you had to offer a, a, an animal sacrifice. Plus, you had to make restitution. If you stole, you had to return seven times. Uh, there were some that there was no restitution for murder, for adultery. How, how do you make restitution? You just stoned them to death. Okay. And in these cases, when there remained no sacrifice for sin, the only thing left to do was to re- be was to remain in your unclean state. Until the Day of Atonement the following year. Until the high priest for your nation offered up that sacrifice on behalf of the entire nation. At which time then um, your forgiveness as your 
shall we call this, your uh, fellowship forgiveness in the Jewish consecrated assembly can then be fully effective. Okay? Now, um, some of this is hard for us to wrap around because it's so Levitical and we're not. Okay? We're used to being either in fellowship or out of fellowship, and that's all there is to it, right? You're walking in light, you're walking in darkness, you're spiritual or you're carnal, and it's the simplicity, uh, the simplicity of it for our church age that we've, we're used to. We, we like it. It's, it's good to, I mean, that's where we are. But beyond that, try to, evaluate, try to imagine a condition in the Old Testament where you could be saved, you could be in fellowship, but you are not ritually clean. You are not ritually in fellowship with the solemn assembly, with the sacred assembly. Okay? And it could be for any reason. It could be because you buried your father and you touched a dead body. Or it could be because uh, of anything. It could be because uh, you, you ate something on the, on the do not eat list. Okay? So you're in fellowship. Or it could be because you had relations with your wife. Or women, you had a baby. You were left unclean for uh, seven weeks. Okay? If it was a boy, 14 weeks if it was a girl. And not that you were out of fellowship for 14 weeks. <laughs> but you were ritually unclean. Ritually out of fellowship. Out of ritual fellowship. Maybe that's a good term for it. So, there is a lot of work to be done then, I believe in evaluating the idea of forgiveness. And most people don't take the time to work it through when it comes to the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Is it a reference to the eternal forgiveness? Is it a reference to the temporal forgiveness? Is it a reference to the ritual, liturgical forgiveness of being in a right relationship and fellowship with the sacred assembly and participating in the uh, in the ritual life of Israel. Okay? And most folks never pay attention to that, and yet in the Gospels, that was still the operational function of uh, the dispensation of Israel at that time. So I think it needs to be evaluated in that respect, not only for this age, but as Matthew says, this age also the age to come. The millennial kingdom will have, once again, an earthly temple, and it will have a, a ritual fellowship, uh, clean versus unclean application to be made. So, thankfully, we don't have that. If you're in fellowship, you're clean. You can come to church. We don't exclude you, okay? Um, there, back then, in fellowship or out of fellowship uh, was still an absolute issue. But beyond that, am I ritually clean in ritual fellowship to participate in the external observances of the Levitical priesthood? Does that make sense? All right. I am not the uh, Leviticus pastor that uh, Stan Newton is. So <laughs> if uh, we can get Stan up here from Houston at some point, then uh, maybe we can get some solid Leviticus at some point. All right. Now we're back. We're back. The last thing we want to deal with today, and um, even with the side trips, we've got time. Back to Luke. Let's end this. Goodbye. And go back to this. All right. 
So under subpoint A, we dealt with the confession of Christ. Confession of Christ producing pedagogical and angelical recognition in heaven. And uh, this, this needs to be, this ought to be motivational. This ought to be because it's there. It's yours if you don't throw it away. If you acknowledge the Christ, if you confess the Christ, then this is waiting for you. See, you say, well, I, I don't want that. I don't want to stand up in front of everybody. <laughs> oh, that's okay. You'll do fine. Right? By then, you know, um, you'll already be in your resurrection body. So nothing to be embarrassed about there. Uh, you'll already be, you're, uh, have gone through the judgment seat of Christ, so your sins are going to be gone, including any guilt or other mental attitude hang-ups you might have. I mean, there's going to be no problem. Stand in front of every angel in creation. <laughs> Stand in front of your Father and have Him confess you because you confessed Him. You confessed the name of Jesus Christ. And you're going to stand there and, and Jesus Christ will say, Father, angels, behold my child, behold my beloved son, behold my, my bride, in our case, the bride of Christ. So it's, uh, and, you know, whatever the hallelujah chorus ends up being or the angelic applause, or we don't know what the outcome is going to be, but uh, even without knowing what, who cares? I, I want to be there. <laughs> All right. Kind of like last night or Monday night when uh, Bob received his recognition and uh, the whole place stood up and applauded and uh, identification of the newest Eagle Scout and uh, all the other scouts that wanted to be an Eagle Scout went, wow, that's uh, that's a pretty serious deal. And uh, they make you uncomfortable, make you embarrassed. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so I'm glad that was over. But in the uh, in the resurrection body, though, no big deal. All right. Patrological recognition, angelical recognition. Point B, we looked at the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Point C now. Maintaining confession in the face of persecution. Well, what if it gets tough? What if they're going to, you know, it's one thing if they mock you for confessing Christ. What if they've got a gun to your head and say, are you a Christian? Right? popular email that goes around about that girl in Littleton, Colorado at the Columbine High School massacre and different uh, legends that may or may not be as true as some other ones. But anyway, one of the purported stories is that uh, the the Klebold or whatever that other maniac was held a gun to her head, this little girl's head, and and uh, asked if she was a Christian, asked it, and, and she maintained her faith, saying... So I'm, I, you know, love believes all things. I think it's a true story, but whether it is or not, the principle still, the truth of the matter, is that when there is a gun to your head, what are you going to do? Are you going to confess Christ or are you going to deny Christ? And if all, you know, if the worst they're going to do is kill your body, well then, big deal, you win. <laughs> all right. Maintaining a confession in the face of persecution requires faith rest requires the faith rest reliance upon the Holy Spirit. Don't worry about it. God didn't put you in a situation and then cross his fingers hoping you won't blow it. <laughs> right? Do you think God is really that dumb? No. 
God will put you in that position. And then he will equip you to do what he wants done. And you're not going to blow it. Because he put you there for that reason. That's why you're there. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, right? He put you there. He wants you there. He's got plans to do something with you once he gets you there. And so we can faith rest it. As it says, let me get back here, Luke 12. It says, quit worrying about it. You know, I don't know. Do you rehearse speeches? Do you, do you run conversations through your mind? I think, okay, they're going to say this. I'm going to say that. Or, and then after the fact, you know, oh man, they said this. I should have said that. I didn't think I, instead I said this. No, that was too dumb. Okay. I'm not the only one that does this. I see. Well, that's all right. Quit doing it <laughs> ahead of time. Relax about it. Study the word of God. Let your mind be renewed. Become more Christ-like. Walk in faith and then relax about it. Okay. The Holy Spirit will give you what to speak. It's the closest you'll ever be to being prophetic right to being i mean mean, you're not going to get it's not going to be a a, you know a a light from heaven and a holy spirit descending in a you know angels singing and bells it's not going to be that it's not going to be hollywood but it is going to be true the holy spirit will speak through you they won't be your words so When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense. Now, this has a literal application for the the 12 disciples, most of whom would be, you know, almost all of them except John are going to be martyred. And even John will be brought before authorities and tortured. And, And they can have an immediate application. But ultimately, this is looking ahead to the tribulation when Israel will be universally persecuted. And uh, 144,000 of them will have testimonies that uh, this world has never seen. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So we can't, uh, we can't, we can't go all Moses and say, oh, well, I'm not a good speaker. I, I, I don't like being in front of people. Just like God told Moses, well, who made your tongue? Okay. I'm putting you where I want you and you're equipped to deal with this because I'm working through you. The Holy Spirit will teach you in the very hour what you want to say. Maintaining a confession in the face of persecution requires the faith rest reliance upon the Holy Spirit. And here's a term I made up. I kind of like it. A faith rest reliance upon the Holy Spirit for verbal plenary instigation. Okay instigation not inspiration we're not writing scripture okay the verbal plenary inspiration of scripture is when the holy spirit moves a human author to write the new testament okay he's not doing that but he will instigate what you say he will teach you what to say he'll be the instigator as it were all right so this, by the way, also is not the first time he's given this message. Galilean Ministry, episode 34, he gave this message. And uh, here he's giving it again. A lot of repetition, a lot of review. You notice that? They've got some dark days coming up. He's, he's going he's to go to the cross. They're going to carry on after he's gone. And uh, if you know those days are coming, then you better 
Not be afraid of review. Make sure you're solid on the promises. All right. Well, then, next week when we come back, we will look at um, the next episode here, emphasis number five, and the idea on covetousness where um, <laughs> you got some kind of uh, a couple of brothers that are fighting over what, uh, what dad left them. And uh, they want, uh, one of them thinks, you know, the, the law is not on his side and he's kind of lost out already in the inheritance. And so he thinks he can pull some strings because he's been such a good disciple and, and uh, Jesus will do him a favor and whatever else. So they're going to go to some kind of a, <laughs> they're going to put Jesus into some kind of a probate uh, evaluation type thing. He says, that's not why I'm here. Goodness gracious. But the he uses it, though, as an opportunity to um, talk about what real wealth actually is. And, uh, you know, the, the, this man's father just died and, and uh, doesn't look to me like they were grieving too much <laughs> or there was any lamenting going on. They were too busy fighting over the fighting over the inheritance. And uh, and yet he uses this to teach about this rich fool who built all these barns. and They were too small, so he built even bigger barns, right? And and that guy's going to die. The guy on the parable is going to die. This very night his soul is required. And uh, so it comes down to verse 21. The man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Uh, it's going to be, I'm looking forward to it. I'm anxious for this. It's coming up and that's where we'll be next week. But I think... Um, the uh, if nothing else, watching uh, the Dow Jones and the you know the economics of our country going the direction it's going uh, is a pretty nifty uh, set of conditions to teach a message like this. And and ask your neighbors and your family and your loved ones. You know, are you are you rich towards God? Uh, what, you know, what is your idol? Where are you tra- laying up your treasure? What's really going on? Because uh, you don't want to be like this fool doesn't even realize that tonight's the night of his accountability. So anyway, that's where we will be next week. Lord willing and rapture pending. Father, thank you for this day, for the truth of your word. Thank you for the faithfulness of our Savior. And he was so patient and he kept teaching. And some things he taught over and over again. And, and he, he put up with Peter and some of these other guys. And just uh, truly, truly... Uh, was faithful to your work assignment in his life. He revealed you. He taught your word. He accomplished your work. And I thank you for that. Father, I pray that we might be imitators of our Savior. We might pattern our uh, thinking, our words, and our deeds after the example he established on our behalf. And I thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.